Okay, we're beginning a new series again. Back in the saddle after a few weeks off through the holidays, and we're glad to be back. Feels good to be back. And we have a new study tonight in First Peter. We'll begin the study in Peter's book. Towards the back of your Bible will be Peter. And we're going to do first and second Peter. Both of these are letters. You see it says in your Bible probably an epistle. It's a letter written by Peter. First one and then the other one. And uh, it just starts out Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we're going to stop there and think about that for a minute because it's just quite an extraordinary character, this Peter, a fisherman who made his living as catching fish, renamed by Jesus Cephas, which means the rock man. <laughs> like to be called by Jesus the rock man. Huh? <laughs> uh, Peter was called a rock. Uh, he is most well known, matter of fact, the four uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are just full of Peter. He's like the main, other than Jesus, he's the main character because he talks more than anybody else. And he's well known for what you might call an outburst. He's always saying something. And sometimes it's not a good thing. <laughs> and sometimes it's an outrageous thing. And then sometimes it's just perfect. But he's always talking very impulsive it seems, in the way he talks. Uh, but he says he's a, a, an apostle, or that he was chosen by God. And so God knows people's personalities, and he chose this man, and he really shine, did shine out. Uh, his outbursts have become, in some places, just classic um, in the boat, when Jesus calmed the storm, he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. That's a, one of those outbursts. You say, wow, you want Jesus to leave just when he calmed the storm? I think we want to keep him close. But as Peter, he's got that kind of brash way of saying things. <coughs> uh, Jesus says to him, People think I'm John the Baptist. People think I'm Isaiah and Jeremiah. Who do you think? And right away, right, first words out of his mouth, you're the son of God. <laughs> Just like that. Comes right out of his mouth. Uh, he, he says, of course, uh, let me walk on the water. <laughs> Jesus comes walking across the Sea of Galilee. What does he say? Hey, I want to do that. Can I do that? <laughs> Come on, jump in. <laughs> and Peter goes over the side of the boat. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there's Moses and Elijah, and Jesus starts to shine from inside, and he's shining, and Peter says, hey, let's stay here. We're going to build three tents and just live here from now on. So these impulsive things that he says, and of course, as we get towards the end, what does he say? Uh, I will never abandon you. The rest of these, yeah, probably. 
not me. And he was the first one to go. And so he's always had these impulsive things. And, and one of the things that I like so much because I say it to myself all the time, was Peter's statement that I say to myself always is, where else can we go? Jesus said, are you going to leave me? He said, I got nowhere else to go. Who else? Where can we go? And I say that, I quote Peter lots of times when I say, where else are we going to go? How, who are you going to go to in this world, particularly now in this world? Uh, so here's this guy who's famous for his outbursts. And it is those outbursts that get him in trouble as he denies Jesus three times. The night before Jesus is crucified, he's standing around the fire. A young girl says, hey, I know you're one of his followers. No, I'm not. And again, no, I'm not. And finally, the third time, he says, cursing and swearing. I am not. And there's that impulsive mouth speaking out, saying, oh, wow, what would you do that for? And then he was in a horrible state of mind after that. Uh, but there was a private interview after the resurrection between Peter and Jesus. The Bible tells us it occurs. It gives us no information on it, just that it occurred. And we know that Peter ran to the tomb. John ran with him. John Younger gets in first and just looks in. Peter, he runs right in the tomb. He goes right in, which means he's down on all fours. His door is only four feet tall. And he's crawling in, going in there, looking there. And he didn't believe. He still didn't believe. Of course, Jesus would appear to him later on that day and have a private interview. We don't know what took place, but whatever it was after that, he was some kind of a different fella. A month later, at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, uh, he becomes a spokesman for the whole group. There's 120 of them meeting in the upper room, and uh, then the Holy Ghost comes, and inside the room there's a rushing wind. Rushing wind, they feel it inside the room. It's the Holy Spirit descending on them, and he stands up, and wow, he preaches a sermon. Over in Acts chapter 2, just to get a little idea, uh, remember, this guy's a fisherman. He's kind of a loudmouth fisherman. <laughs> That's what he was. And listen to him preach his very first sermon, uh, Acts chapter 2. If you want to look at it there, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, here, this is the first sermon he ever preached. Now, the first sermon I ever preached, I was just a kid. Just a kid. And they were letting kids preach. They thought it was funny. 
They didn't like what I said. <laughs> I'm still the same today. <laughs> 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel of foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. How do you like to say that to your first audience? <laughs> you killed Jesus. Wow. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He's on my right hand that I should not be moved. And then he goes on to preach this fantastic sermon, the first one he ever preached. It's magnificent piece of... Uh, uh, just a beautiful sermon. But there's a reason for it. And I want you to turn here because this is going to be an essential thing. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Something happened after the resurrection. And this is an essential to what we're about to look at. Luke 24. After the resurrection, he appears to them in the upper room. Verse 44. Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And so he says, From Genesis... Malachi, the whole Old Testament was about me. Starting with the books of Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the prophets, Samuel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the Psalms, it's David, he gets everything in there. He said, they were all about me. Then opened he their understanding that they may understand the scriptures. Now, that was something you wish you could hear. Jesus explaining to the disciples, here's what this means. Here's what that means. Let me tell you something else. And tying it all together. And you may have had an occasion where all of a sudden something makes sense. Right? You've heard it explained and you've heard it and you've read it. And then all of a sudden, hey, I get it now. I get it now. I've had people say that to me quite a lot. Hey, I get it now. I see. I get it. That's good. Jesus explained there, and at that moment, all the things that Peter had experienced in the last three and a half years suddenly all make sense. So much so that he's ready just to go out and do what he's got to do. When the world comes together and you finally understand what it's all about, Jesus made that happen. And so he steps up in the book of Acts and becomes the leader of the whole crew. Uh, it's Peter who is leading the church. They walk in Ananias and Sapphira. And they said, we, got, we gave you all our money. And he said, you're a liar. And Ananias dropped dead. And his wife comes in. Did you give all your money? Yeah, we gave it all. You're a liar too. And, and he said the whole 
everybody was scared to death after that. Don't be lying to Peter. <laughs> you lie to God, lie to Peter. Look what he just did. It wasn't Peter that did it, but he was in charge there. And Peter is the first one to go across the aisle, so to speak. In Jerusalem, mainly Jews had been a part of uh, the new church in the book of Acts. Peter, for the first time, crosses over the aisle and brings the first Gentile, the first non-Jewish person into the church. His name is Cornelius. And he argues with God a little about it because he can't quite wrap his head around it. I thought the Jews were God's chosen people. And so God drops a big sheet out of heaven. So what do you see in there? Well, there's pigs and cows and all kinds of stuff in there. He says, take one and eat it. I'm not eating that dirty stuff. He says, I said it's clean, eat it. And the sheet goes up, she comes back down, come on, eat. I'm not eating that. I'm not eating no pork. He said, I said it's clean three times. The sheet comes down and he says to Peter, if I say it's clean, it's clean. Now, he's not just talking about pigs. He's talking about people. And he's trying to get across to Peter. This gospel is for everybody. It's not just for Jews. It's for everybody. And so he's the first one to go over and find a Roman soldier named Cornelius. And Cornelius has been searching for the truth. Peter finds him and gives him the truth. All right. And so there brings us to the book of Acts. He's leading the sermons. He's leading the church. He's now leading the charge and, and reaching out beyond uh, the Jewish people into the Gentiles. And then in the book of Acts, he simply disappears. He's gone. Because somebody else comes along as a rising star named Paul. And the apostle Paul then dominates the rest of the book of Acts. Did that mean Peter went home and cried about it? No, 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 no. Peter was busy doing all kinds of things, all right? Now, they do say that he was the first pope. And there's a lot of people who think that, probably, but not Peter. He didn't think that. <laughs> Peter, we're not sure that Peter went to Rome, to tell you the truth. Catholics, of course, say that Peter is the first pope, and therefore every pope after that is perfect. Well, we're not going to argue with that, okay? Take that for what it's worth. But uh, the uh, uh, Peter, well, what happened to him? Where did he go? What did he do? Well, that's what we're about to look into. Part of what happened to him, part of what he did is going to come out in this book of Peter. And so we're going to look at this brash, loudmouth, always sticking your foot in your mouth kind of guy. And we're about to see something that's kind of, you'd think, well, this doesn't sound like this fisherman we've been reading about. It sounds like somebody else. And that makes me really happy because there's Peter and Paul. And Peter 
is a fisherman, plain old everyday working kind of guy. Paul's a genius. Paul is a he's a mental giant, and he is educated with probably one of the best educations that the world has ever known was Apostle Paul. So he's extremely educated, extremely intelligent, brilliant. God wants him for his mind. And God calls him because of that marvelous mind of his. And he figures out an awful lot of things that help us still today. Without him, I'm not sure where we would have been. And then we come to Peter. Now I'm going to read verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. That don't sound like a fisherman to me. <laughs> sounds like Paul. It sounds like Paul. You say, well, how did he get to sound like Paul? That's what makes me so happy about Peter, you know. I'm just an everyday working stiff. I'm not a genius like Paul. I'm not highly educated like Paul. But God can still take people and show them truth. And here's Peter, who was nothing but a fisherman, goofing up and always shooting his mouth off at the wrong time. And now listen to him. He, he really talks pretty good for a fisherman. What happened? God... The Holy Spirit came into his life, took over his brain, took over his mind, opened it up, and he's become quite the thinker. And so that's why I like Peter, because he's more like people like you and me. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Good thing that in the Bible we got geniuses, and then we got people like you and me. <laughs> it's like the rest of us. And that's who he is. He's just a plain old fisherman. You would have liked him. Everybody, I'm sure, liked him because he's kind of a happy-go-lucky, say-what's-on-your-mind kind of guy. Uh, but he's about to start talking. Let's see what he's got to say. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, we know who he is now, apostle of Jesus Christ, chosen to serve because of his character. To the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It helps us to know what's been going on. If we have the Mediterranean Sea with Jerusalem down here, and over here we have Greece. Greece hangs down. Up in here is what we call Asia Minor. And... Uh, these places, Galatia, Bithynia is up here, Cappadocia, this, all this ground here in Asia Minor is where he's writing to these people, these different groups of people who are churches. There are churches up there, churches. And he's writing to the churches, and he's saying to them, he calls them strangers. Um... Scattered, part of the dispersion is actually the word. You may have that in some, you might have different Bibles. Might say to the dispersed ones or dispersion. What happened was down in Jerusalem, as the church started growing, remember it started out 120, 
on the day of Pentecost, before nightfall, it was at 2,000. Went up to 3,000 by the next day, 5,000 a couple days later. I'd say that's a pretty good growth chart, huh? You go 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, just like that. Well, the church was shaking the whole town of Jerusalem. Peter, they arrested him. You've got to stop him. He's just turning his whole, and that's what they said. He's turning it upside down. We've got to stop him. So they arrested him, beat him, and him and John, some of the others, they beat him, said, don't ever preach again. We never want to hear that again. Next day, they're down there preaching again. <laughs> Peter says, come on, guys. We're all done with our beating. Let's go. Down they go. Preach some more. All right. They, finally, they said, we're going to kill Peter. Take him into custody. Put him in jail. Tomorrow, we'll kill him. And that's the time that the angel comes in and says, hey, Peter, wake up. You can't get him up. He's going to die tomorrow, and he's sound asleep, <laughs> out like a light. And it said the angel had to slap him to wake him up. He said, oh, get up, come on, wake up, will you? Oh, okay. And he said, got up, and he walked through the gates. Gates opened automatically. He walked through all the gates, out past the guards and everything. He got out there, and the angel disappeared. And he said, am I awake, or is this a dream? And he went and knocked on the door. Said, hey, I'm here. They were praying that he'd be released. A little girl opened the door and slammed it back shut. Said, Peter's out there. Well, let him in. <laughs> so <laughs> he's the folk. They tried to kill him, beat him, shut him up, everything else. Nothing worked. Church was so dynamic. It's just growing in leaps and bounds. And so they had to get, they wanted to stop it. They had a leader. Paul was going to make sure he did his best to shut down Peter and his group. And he tried real hard till God shut him down. But what they did in order to break that group up uh, was blackball them in the, in the business world. So if you're uh, a carpenter, Everybody sends out the word. Nobody hires that guy. If you sell, you know, bread, they say nobody buys his bread. And by doing that, they had they, people were starving. And we have record of it in the Bible that the people in Jerusalem were were in serious trouble. And so, in order to uh, <coughs> survive, they left. They left Jerusalem. Of course, it was God's plan, right? And they go, boy, they're getting treated bad. Where's God and all this? God wants the church to spread. And he uses the persecution in Jerusalem, and they wander up into Asia Minor. And they're in all these places, and they are strangers up there, and they're probably a lot of them strangers to Peter. So he's talking to people who were driven out of their businesses, driven out of their homes, driven out of their country. And now they're up all around Asia Minor in these little churches. And probably the churches were founded by Paul. They were probably Paul's churches because he's the one 
that was traveling up here. And Paul's the first one to go over into Greece and stretch that man. So Peter is writing to these people who have been through a lot. They've been starving because of their faith. Now they've escaped out of that persecution and they're trying to get up and get going up there. And Peter's going to write him a little letter uh, to help him. So we go to verse 2. To these strangers, he calls them elect, chosen, special. You are elect. You've been chosen. It is God chosen. God chose them. They're elect. All right. You know anybody's elect? Don't point at me. Point at yourself. You're elect. I'm elect. You're elect. We're elect. We're chosen by God. All right. God made a choice that I want you and you and you and you to follow me, and he created the circumstances in your life to get you to follow him. If coming to this church is part of that, then yeah, that's part of what happened, all right? But that's how he has chosen you, and everybody you say is elect. It says elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Um, God knew ahead of time who he's going to choose. And now all of a sudden people start gagging and coughing. Oh, no, that's horrible. God chose ahead of time and the rest of them are lost. <laughs> well, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, God knew who would follow him. And he chose for his followers to do certain things. And that's really when we talk about election. There's volumes this big, this thick, written on election. They made a big deal of it, and it's really not a big deal. Well, it's good. I don't mean that. doesn't have to argue over it. God knew ahead of time who was going to follow him, and so he chose that those people would do certain things. They would behave certain ways. So, if you say, well, God, I'm one of God's chosen people. God chose me. Good. That's right. He did. He knew ahead of time that you were going to come. And so, what happens next is part of that plan. God knew ahead of time what he would want. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, or God chose you before you were born, through sanctification of the Spirit. All right. So, we have... God, the Father, chose you. And God, the Spirit, sanctified you. Everybody all sanctified here? <laughs> Be careful how you answer that one. Sanctified, set apart made you special. He pulled you out. I want you to be special. I'm going to sanctify you or pull you apart. All right? You're going to be chosen 
and, and separated then, you're separated from the world around you. You're not like the rest of the world. So God knew ahead of time he was going to, you were going to follow him and he was going to decide for you what would happen. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to pull them out of the world. I don't want them to be like the world anymore. I'm calling them out of the world. I'm going to separate them from the world around them so that they're different. All right, Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. There we go. God chose you. The Holy Spirit said, I'll make them different. I'll keep them out of the world. And here's what I want them to do. Obey. There's your Christian life all wrapped up in one sentence. God looked at you said, I'm going to take you. I want you to be a follower of me. And the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to help them. I'm going to pull them out of the world that they live in, separate them, and bring them into a place like the church where they can be separate, where they can learn. And then we expect them from then on to obey. There you go. There's your Christian life. From now on, you obey God. Everybody good with that? Don't work so well, does it? You say, man, I I have a hard time sometimes doing what God says. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. Then the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, that is, he shed blood for you, and that's how serious he is about you. He's so serious about you that he bled for you. He gave his blood for you. And I don't know how else to measure what Christ did other than to say he gave his blood for you. Pretty serious about you. He's pretty serious about you to give his blood for you. Now, we're going to stop a minute because these people are mostly Jewish, all right? They were driven from Jerusalem. They're Jewish. And Peter's Jewish. Now, Peter was told by God, if you were a Jew, you looked at the rest of the world and said they're dogs. The rest of the world is dogs or pigs. Either one. Pigs or dogs. That's who the rest of the world is. We are God's chosen people. The rest of you aren't. And are the Jews God's chosen people? Well, they said, well, yeah. Right from the beginning, God chose a family. He chose a man first, Abraham. Abraham had a family. He made a family. Jacob had a whole tribe and he chose a tribe and that tribe grew in and under Moses became a nation. So there's one family nation, the Jews, and they said we are God's chosen people. And so this is how a Jew would grow up. He'd walk around and say, Ooh, there's a dirty Gentile. Let's not get too close to them. 
Let's not get too close to them. They're kind of, you know, we're, we're God's chosen people, and you're not. So that's how the culture of the Jews were. And they would say this, we are chosen because we're children of Abraham. He just said, mm-mm. He said, yes, we are. We're God's chosen people. We're God's chosen people. We're from Abraham. He said, no, you're not. You're elect by the foreknowledge of God. God chose you, and it doesn't matter who you are, Jewish, Gentile, or whatever, God chose you. Well, we're separate from everybody else because we're Jewish. No, no, you're separate because you believe in Jesus. And so the whole mind thinking of the Jewish people was we're children of Abraham, therefore we're chosen by God, we're extra special, the rest of you are just trying to catch up to us and never will. All right? And we follow Moses' rule. Makes us Jewish. And he just said, no, no, it's got nothing to do with Abraham. God chose you, and the Holy Spirit separated you. You weren't separated because you were a nation. You're separated because of the Holy Spirit. And yes, you are supposed to obey, not Moses, God. And so he's readjusting their thinking, trying to get them to think right. All right? He's trying to teach them to stop having the Jewish point of view, and now to view the world as God had it set up. God chose you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what family, what nation you come from. You could be Norwegian and get chosen, all right? You could be chosen from wherever you came from. God chose you, all right? Spirit set you apart to obey. Not to obey all the little rules and laws of Moses, but to obey God and Jesus. Jesus rules. Jesus has rules. Jesus has laws. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus has rules. You follow his rules, his laws. So don't think you're hotcha because you're Jew. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Any Jew wouldn't say that. He would say, blessed be God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what he would say. He said, no, 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 no. From now on, when you think about God, he's the father of Jesus. He's the father of Jesus. I want you to think of him that way. According to our, his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope. We talked about that Sunday, right? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he said, now you're not part of the Jewish family. You're part of Jesus' family. You had to be born over. You've been born again. You had to be born over into the new family, not the old one that you said was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now you're born into the family of Jesus Christ. He's brought you into his family, started over. So you're starting over. 
You got to be, like he says here, begotten. He has begotten us or gave us life again. All right, he's begotten us. Reborn, reborn. We have to be reborn. It has to happen. You got to have a moment where you look and go to God and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me and be my savior? And he says, yes. He always says yes. If you'll say the first part, he always says the second part. At that point, we're born into a new family. Because we're in a new family, we get inheritance. Incorruptible, verse 4, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We talked about that. A very personal relationship is implied. That's why I like Peter sometimes better than Paul. Because Paul never talked like that. Paul didn't say, hey, you, God thinks so much of you, he's reserved something in heaven with your name on it. That intrigues me, huh? Does that intrigue you? What's he got up there? What's he doing? What's he saving for me? Uh, If you go in my house, it's got a little bit of me in it. Not much. A lot of my wife in there. There's baskets hanging on the wall. She made those baskets. That's her thing hanging there. Uh, there's something there from my grandmother. When I was a young boy, I was looking at a picture. My grandmother took it off the wall. Said, here, it's yours. So I was carrying around. My mother said, put that back where you found it. I said, Grandma gave it to me. How come? I looked at it. Don't look at anything else, she said. <laughs> Grandma was watching because the next day I was looking at something. She gave me that, too. But the picture that I have hanging on my wall is written in Norwegian, and I never knew what it said. And I kept it for years and years and years and years. And when I uh, brought it out after years and years and years later, I looked at it. And I couldn't read it. It's Norwegian. I went to my father. and said, what does this say? It says, he careth for you. Nice little message from your grandma. That's on my wall. When you get to heaven, what's going to be reserved there for you? Something special to you. Something that would uniquely fit your personality is reserved there for you. See, that's the thing of value. Things on my wall, I couldn't sell them at an auction for 50 cents. But you couldn't buy them from me for a million. I wouldn't part with that picture for anything. You couldn't pry it out of my hands. When my fingers are cold and dead, and somebody will get it away from me. By then, I hope to have put it in the next generation's hands. All right? But uh, those things are precious to me, valuable. Is that the kind of thing that God is reserving for us? What he just knows you would love. What he knows you treasure and value. I think so. That's a very personal thing. That God has got something in heaven waiting for you. And you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's not going to be something you say, what do I do with that? Everybody, every Christmas gets something you say, what do I do with that, right? Every year, you know, yeah, what do I do with that? That's nice, thank you. I don't know what to do with it. 
Not with Jesus. He's, gonna, he's made it very special. And he hinted at it when he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I'd have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. For you. So there's something very personal waiting for us in heaven. And there it is right there. He said, there's something with your name on it. It's reserved there, kept there for you. So it's a very personal relationship. This chosen. That's a, God had a lot of thought when he looked at you and chose you. Right? A lot of people looked over you, looked over me. They used to say about me, you can't ever give him a speaking part. He's too quiet. <laughs> they said, he won't speak up. Don't even try. He'll, he'll never speak up. Well, I guess I got over that, right? The people have looked over us. But God looked right at you and said, you know, I see something there. I want it. I'm choosing that. I'm going to pull that out of them because I put it in. I'm going to get it out of them. And I'm going to make this very special bond. I want them to know I thought about them before they were born. Something about you that he loves personally. And he's chosen you for that. So Peter's got this very special uh, touch he talks about God, it's, it's very personable. Why? Why is he so good at that? Because he walked side by side with Jesus for three and a half years. And he ate with him, and he slept with him, and he traveled with him, and he listened to him, and he argued with him, and he learned from him, and he did all this for three and a half years. They were like that. And at the end of that three and a half years, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Oh yeah, of course I do. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah, I said I did. Do you love me? And he gets mad. I said I did. I said I did. <laughs> Just making sure, Peter. Because from now on, I'm going to give you my lambs to feed. And you're going to feed them. That's what he's doing here. That's why he's talking to us. We're feeding Lambs. We need care, and we need someone to care for us, and Peter is the one who's going to care for us, and he's going to teach us how personal and close Jesus can be. He's very personal and close. He's the one that walked side by side with him, and now he's telling us. And he's got something special planned for you. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith, Unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept by God. God keeps us. We're under his care. You're kept. You're cared for. God cares for us. He loves us. What did Jesus say? 
While you were yet sinners, he, he loved you. He died for you before you cared anything about him. And so uh, he has taken your care in his hands and you got to put it there and leave it there. That may be hard. You gonna let him take care of you? <laughs> you gonna let him take care of you? He will if we'll, it says through faith, we gotta trust him completely. You trust him completely and say, look, I believe in you. I want, you, I want to do what you want. I want to obey. He said, okay, good. And then I'm going to save you. And so were we all saved? I say, yeah, we believe in Jesus Christ. We're saved, right? He says he's going to be revealed in the last time. Well, I thought we were saved now. Aren't we? Yeah. So what's going to be revealed in the last time? Well, you don't realize how much he's going to do for you. There's some things in the Bible that are just stunning. Stunning. Jesus said, you're going to be married in heaven. How do you like that? So I've been married down here pretty happily for all these years. Why would I not want to be married in heaven? You're not going to be married in heaven. You're going to be like the angels who aren't married. So what's that all about? We are going to love each other with such an intensity and care for each other such a complete care that it's like we're all married. We'll all be married to each other. And we will become full, fully who we were intended to be. And that's coming in the end. You are not yet what you're supposed to be. Neither am I. I got a ways to go, okay? <laughs> we got a ways to go. But when that last day comes and we realize what God has planned for us, wow. It's going to look really good to us. A lot better than it looks now. And it looks great now. Looks great now. All right, verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. What's he talking about? He's talking about you being driven from your home, blackballed, having no way to support your family, having to leave your home and your country and go up here. Be a stranger up in a land that you've never been in before. He says, that's what you're going through. I realize it. And here's why that verse 7, the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried by fire, might be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Right, now there it is. You've been persecuted. You've been treated badly. You've been driven from your homes and everything else. But there's a day coming. There's a day coming when, we've got to put this word here. 
Got to get this one word in there. If. If. Got to get one word in there. The word is if. It'll be a great day when Jesus comes and reveals all that we're going to be in heaven if we can say what that we might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. If when he comes we can say, I never gave up. I never backed down. I never walked away. I never gave you half. I always gave you all I had. If you can say that, or the praise and honor and glory at the coming of Jesus Christ. If you can stand up when he comes and say, yeah, I, I stuck with it. It got kind of hard sometimes, but I stuck with it. When the going gets tough, we didn't shrink away. We stuck with it. We kept on going. If you can say that, then it's going to be a happy day when he appears. So remember, there's a day, and the Bible says a day of reckoning, a day when what we have done with our lives is going to be brought in front of us, in front of the rest of the world. And they'll say, all right, let's see what you did. Each one of you individually, and me more so, as I'm more responsible for what I do, we're all going to stand up in front of God and give an account. And if you can say, I never quit, Lord. I never gave up. I stuck with it right till the end. I, nothing could keep me back. I'm with it. And he says, it's going to be a happy day because it's going to be like gold. Not just any old gold. Gold that got purified in fire. And it's beautiful. Then he said, eh, but gold's not worth anything. You'll be much more valuable than gold if you didn't give up. If you stuck with it. Now, it really breaks my heart when I see someone who doesn't stick with it. It really, I think to myself, don't you know what you're throwing away? Oh, man. Don't you see what you're throwing away if you quit? Don't quit. Stick with it. That's Peter talking to these people who've been through a lot more than you and I ever, ever have or probably ever will. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, they were driven from home and family and uh, were poverty stricken. They were collecting money all across Asia to send back to Jerusalem because the people were literally starving to death in Jerusalem. Christians being shut out economically. They were starving to death. And so Peter says, you, you stick with it. I'm telling you, you may be having a hard time, but I'll tell you it'll be worth it when he comes. Verse 8, who having not seen you love. There's an interesting comment. Can you love somebody 
you never saw. It's a lot harder, isn't it? It's a lot harder. It's easy for us to love people when we get to know them and they're right there with us and they're talking with them and we can, we can love people. But if you never met somebody, it's a little different, isn't it? But he said, Jesus, you've never seen him. He had seen him. But you guys never saw him, but I, I did see him. You didn't. He said, but you still love him. Can you learn to love people you never met? I think you can. I think you can. A lot of you said, I really like Big Carl. <laughs> you never met Big Carl. I told you about Big Carl. All right. And you like Uncle Ed because I told you about him. And you can love Jesus if you learn about him, listen about him, learn all you can. You can love him without having seen him. Though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. All right, so that's where we're going. Be saved, set apart. But we're here, he said, remember, to obey, and if you will stick with it, you won't quit. You hang in there, keep going. If you do, if you do, then he says you'll be rewarded immensely. Jesus said, uh, uh, "Some are going to get thirty times what they gave. Some are going to get sixty times as much as they gave." And some are going to get a hundred times what they gave. So you think, man, I'm giving a lot of my time and a lot of my effort for Jesus. I'd say that's better odds than you got on Wall Street. Huh? I'd say a lot. Those are good odds. All right. What Jesus also said was some, what they have will be taken from them. And to others it will be given to. So some people who have not lived for Jesus, who have lived for themselves, who have not obeyed as we are instructed here to do, those people, he said, what they have will be taken from them. And so when they get to heaven, they may have a big old fat zero there. You say, well... As long as I get in, <laughs> I don't know about you, but when people uh, are throwing their crowns at Jesus' feet, I hope I got a few to toss down there too. I don't want to be one standing back saying, gee, I got nothing. No, no, no. So if he's been so carefully examining you, watching you, and then chose you, picked you, all right, and then started you into a new family by being born into that family, and then said, I'm going to have something special for you. You'll see it in its fullness when the day comes when I return. Hang in there. He says, hang in there. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I know. I know. But if you'd never give up, You'll see it'll be magnificent when the, con when the day comes. So I'll be there to help you. And that's the theme that comes up 
He's here to help us. He's here to be with us. Here, verse 5, you are kept by the power of God. So he didn't say, all right, I'm going to stand up here and wait while you obey. I'll be watching. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to help you. I just, I know just what you're like. I know your weaknesses. I know your strengths. I know your goodness. I know how to get inside of you. I want to get in there and I want to get out the very best you have. So hang in there. Hang in there. No matter how hard it gets, just keep going. What a day it'll be when it comes. All right? Now, just a little taste. Oh, receiving the end of salvation of your soul, verse 9, of which salvation prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied you of the grace that should come. Next week, when we pick this up again, we'll find that people, since the beginning of time, have been trying to figure out what you and I are all about. Say, what do they care about us for? Because we got to see it all. Right? We now look back and we say, Jesus was born and that Bethlehem made We know why now, see? We know why he came. We know the cross and we know the empty tomb and we know all those things. And we understand it and it all comes together in our minds and now we get it. And we can look and see it. And we who grasp it now, all right, there was people in the, in the past who said, I don't know what's going to happen to those people. I wish I could be there. I wish I could see it. I've been thinking about trying to figure out what it is. And we'll talk next week about how hungry men of the past were before Christ came to figure out just what you and I are sitting here talking about. They long to know those things. And you'll find out it's not just people who long to know. Angels are trying to figure out what was going on in East Shelby. <laughs> what's going on over there? What's, what's that all about? Who are those people like? What are they doing? How come they're so happy? It's angels trying to figure out what we sit here and enjoy. God's word told to us through this fisherman with the big mouth. We'll go on more next week. Thank you.